We have a fun guest today here on Vicious Talk with Benny P, a good friend of mine, you could say, uh, alum of Cal State LA, Los Angeles. He got his bachelor's in communication and media studies. He's a retired slugger, a baseball player who knows how to drop bombas, man. He's Khalil Green's biggest fan, San Diego native, my cousin, Nick Burrow. How's it going, buddy? Welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to be here finally, huh? Right? Long time coming. I, I, uh, I'm glad that I, I, I can't believe I didn't think about it sooner. I'm bringing you on and you're, uh, it's just kind of like the nature of our relationship. I feel like, cause we yeah. were always, we were always like, whenever we saw each other growing up, cause you lived in San Diego and I lived in LA, mm-hmm. we always like meshed well. We got, we like, we always went to go work mm-hmm. out baseball and like, we got along as good friends. And then we just wouldn't see each other for a while. You know what I mean? I know. And then no, we would, yeah. it's like, no, it's like no time passed whenever we, whenever we would catch up too. So yeah. that's what, Always talking baseball. It's funny. We, I kind of caught you. I think when we met, um, I had just gotten into it. I think I had just gotten into baseball, like real, you were real seriously. Raw. I remember that. Yeah, you and you were, and you, and you came out to work right. with Zach and I, and you would have hit some far, and then you would look bad on some. And I was, <laughs> and, I was yeah. and, and then the drastic improvement from when, like, when you when you by the time you got to college, I was like, oh man, this is a different hitter right here, man. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I mean, you guys have been playing. I mean, I know baseball's been in your blood for years. For me, it was totally different, right? Like I you know, kind of found baseball by accident. You know, I never played, I never played T-ball. I never played coach pitch or whatever. So it's kind of like playing catch up, but you're right. Really early. It was really raw. A lot of raw. It's like, Hey, this is a big kid, but you know, got some things to clean up. You did. You, you had a, you had some good college uh, baseball playing though. I mean, thank you. you I saw some of your, your walk-off homers and you hit some bombs, dude. I was like, I was pumped watching some (laughs) of those videos and you would play the bomb bomb, but the, at the, when you're grinding the bases. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. They look like a lot of fun. All right, buddy, man, let's dive into this podcast. Let's do it. All right, so I wanted to bring you on because, like we said, we uh, we both are big fans of the sport of baseball, and uh, I'm sure, as everybody knows, we've got going on right now a lot of great uh, playoff MLB baseball going on, and, and it's the World mm-hmm. Series, Dodgers and Rays. Uh, series is tied at one one right now. We're recording this on Thursday. What's today's day? October twenty first, twenty second, twenty second. Mom's birthday. Can't forget. Oh. Oh, it's, it's Bonnie's birthday or is it your, your mom? No, my mom, my mom. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I never met her. No. Nice yeah. lady. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Shaped who I am today. <laughs> That's dope. So October 22nd, we're recording this in between games uh, two and three. Um, and really a hard fought series so far, just a great playoffs in general, I think. Um, and I was expecting this coming in. I thought a little bit because we saw with basketball, how the bubble um, aspect of the sport really allowed the players to focus like almost a hundred percent of their attention on their craft and perfecting their, right. their play. And I think we're seeing that a little bit, especially at this point in, in the series, in, in their journey through the postseason. teams are like, these guys are playing at the top of their games right now. I mean, some of these players, mm-hmm. like, I mean, just for example, G man Choi for the Rays, he's not a very good player. Like he's okay. And he's, mm-hmm. he's playing, he's playing really well right now. Like he's hitting oh, yeah, the ball really well against show. righties. So, uh-huh. and then you know, Randy Orosa Reina for the Rays. I mean, and not to mention oh the, the plethora of Dodger hitters. We, we could dive into that, but um, just really high caliber baseball, I thought. And so I was excited to bring another baseball nut onto the podcast and, and discuss some of this and, and try to flesh it out. Well, it's, yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. You said it, these guys are, you know, both teams are playing extremely well. And I, what I think is really interesting, if you look at the Rays and you look at the Dodgers, 
they're very different teams. You know, mm-hmm. they come from really different styles of building a team from a front office standpoint. You know, the Dodgers are a powerhouse. Um, you know, frankly, they've been really successful, but they haven't, you know, achieved their goal, which is obviously winning the World Series. They haven't gotten that mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> in the last, what, eight years they've been in the postseason. And so they went it's out. It's killing and got, Dodger fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they went out and they got arguably, you know, one of the best if, you know, what's not talk about trout because that's a sad yeah. story the poor guy can't get on the end of the know, but, you know, they got, they got one of the best players in the world with uh mookie Betts, right and they're mm-hmm. really making a push and then here you got the rays right a little bit more analytical right i, I would say the average fan couldn't name five players on right. the roster at least going into the series know, exactly unless you're yeah. a race fan but hey you know last night i think they showed we're not messing around like we're here to stay we're gonna yeah. compete and Hopefully, you know, I don't, I, I can't ever root openly for the Dodgers, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, can't, I am going to root. I am going to root for a good series. That's definitely exactly. what I want. Yeah. I, I know I'm rooting for the Dodgers just for my family's sake. I'm an Angels fan. Like you mentioned, Trout's my, my man. Uh, but dude, Gosh. I love Mookie Betts coming from the Red Sox. I liked him there. And um, really you're, you touched on the fact that just the, the culture of these two teams is just so drastically different. Just like one team mm-hmm. with, I think that the Dodgers have the highest payroll in baseball and the race have like the third lowest at like 28 yeah. million. Right. And it's it, the drastic difference in that is just insane. And I don't know that you would see that in many other sports, like in terms of, I mean, not only is that not really even you're not teams aren't able to do that in other sports because mm-hmm. of the salary floors and caps that yep. they kind of enforce that baseball's a little bit different in that sense. Right. But it's really like a story of David and Goliath. When you look at the, just the salaries totally. of the two teams. But one thing that is interesting with them though, is so their cultures might be a little bit different, but the strategy is actually a little bit similar. And that, and by right. that, by that, I mean, it is they're both very modern analytical teams. Andrew, Free, Andrew Freeman, the president GM of the Dodgers came from Tampa Bay and mm-hmm. he implemented a lot of the strategies that the Rays were kind of perfecting and working through zigging while the rest of the teams were zagging. And both exactly. these teams are kind of perfecting that and, and, and showing in terms of like, they're both the one seeds coming into this year. I, right. A lot of people like both the Rays and the Dodgers coming into the season. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that both these organizations have really produced a great product on the field this year. Yeah. I mean, you said it, you know, totally different, but also extremely similar. And I'm sure we'll get into the analytical side, um, maybe towards the end of the podcast, because I have some interesting uh, thoughts on that, that I'd love to get your input on. But uh, absolutely, from a front office standpoint, you see the shift, you see the matchup Mm -hmm. play, you know, it's not, it's not your typical baseball that, you know, you and I grew up with, even in, especially Mm -hmm. like our parents and stuff like that is way different. So it's really cool to see that kind of come to the top and what two big dogs. Yeah. What's, what's really interesting is the fundamentals are so sound in both on both sides of the baseball here for both teams. Like we're seeing the Dodgers offense. We saw great outings out of um, Snell and um, glass now in games one and two, but the Dodgers were able to score runs in like the fourth and fifth innings, because what they're doing is they're, they're allowing these pitchers to work well through the first cup, first few innings, first three innings, but they're working the pitch counts. They're making mm-hmm. them, but by the time they get to the 15, they're, they're getting close to hundred pitches. And that's yeah. what's allowing them to start to score runs in those middle innings. And yeah. that's a modern take on the game really. Cause teams didn't really do to do that. And, no. and um, I would say over the last few years, we started to really see an uptick in that strategy. And um, I think the Dodgers especially have been really perfecting that this year. 
Yeah, I mean, just quality at bat after quality at bat. You know, you yeah. look at the lineup on paper and you think it's, you know, that that one through nine of sluggers, you would think they're swinging early and they're, you know, just celebrating and a lot of, you know, high strikeouts. And it's not really like that. You know, they're seeing yeah. pitches and they're, you know, grinding out at bats and they're really making pitchers work. Um, yeah. And then on the flip side, I mean, defensively, I think the Dodgers do a great job of eliminating the beginning. It seems like their outfielders totally. are making running catches in the gaps and robbing totally. home runs every game. And Every the Rays, the Rays too. I mean, Kevin yeah. Kiermaier is an animal. Oh, animal. Yeah. You that saw Hunter Renfro incredible. do it in San Diego yeah. too. I mean, sliding catches and just cannon for arm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's really just fun baseball we're seeing. And we're seeing guys like role players like Max Muncie on the Dodgers and Chris Taylor and even mm-hmm. like uh, guys on the Rays like Randy Rosarena. I mentioned G-Man Choi, um, Yandy Diaz. Like these guys are working counts and they're, and they're hitting. Oh, yeah. And they're hitting the ball like they're helping their teams in more ways that show up on the stat sheet. Like Max Muncy and Chris Taylor, for example, I know in, for a fact that they fa- they see some of the most pitches at anybody in baseball. And so like when Max Muncy, a lot of people right. think he had a bad year this year. And I, I'm one of them. I, th- I had him on my fantasy team. Like I was fed right. up with him. He's not putting stats up that show up on the stat sheet, but you know, dude, the guy sees so many pitches and he's so valuable in that four spot for the Dodgers, because I, I can't remember the last time I saw Max Muncy having a bat that lasted less than like six pitches. Right. No, it's definitely, it's one of those things that it's a little finer tuned that if you haven't been around the game or you haven't really paid attention, it's, it's not, you know, the sexiest thing, but absolutely the ability to work counts and make starting pitchers, uh, throw pitches is in a, invaluable because, you know, we talked about, you know, these offensive forces, but at the same time, the modern, modern era of the game is everybody throws hard, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not throwing 95 plus, <laughs> Dude, like everybody kind of on the bullpen, it. everybody on the everybody bullpen throws hard. So if you can make them be in the zone and then punish them once they're in the mm-hmm. zone, you're going to have success. And I think you've seen both teams do an exceptional job of that because yeah. they're not chasing, they're not making it easy. You know, you don't see guys in the seventh inning, throwing you know 68 pitches it's just not happening right mm-hmm. like you like you said fifth inning they're at the 100 pitch mark that's impossible think, at this no, point it's, the game. it's definitely impossible yeah. yeah it's it's been fun to watch i mean some people don't really some people don't really appreciate the the art and beauty of that kind of baseball but i think that the, a lot of the baseball heads like ourselves and people that have been following the game and understand the strategy behind all the little minutiae of the sport are really starting to pick up on some of that. And I think that both these teams are just hitting the peak of their performances right now. I mean, the Dodgers on the defensive side, I I wanted to touch on that, that when they faced the Braves, the the Braves had that man, they choked so bad, Yeah, but you know, the Dodgers, the Dodgers beat them on staying calm, sticking to the fundamentals and sticking to their game plans. And and really I thought the the epitome of that series was the double play in game seven. We talked about Mm -hmm. it a little bit before the podcast. Dansby Swanson going on contact on a ground ball to Justin Turner, which was, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know why he was going on contact. It seemed like a rookie mistake, but that play on the Dodgers side where Justin Turner throws to the plate and then the catcher throws it to him. He dies, tags him, gets a double play at third base. That was just beautiful. And they made it look so easy. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's aggressive defense right there. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, fighting for outs wherever you can get them as far as base running. You know, I I think it was a little bit of a little bit trying to be a little too aggressive. Um, Normally on that play, when you see a guy running on contact, the idea is. Well, let me give you kind of. 
Go ahead. Well, let me give you an example of when it's good to go in contact because the Dodgers had another example of that where Mookie Betts was on third base and I think it was mm-hmm. game one of the World Series. He's on yep. third base. He got it basically halfway on the secondary lead. Ground ball mm-hmm. to the first baseman, Yandy Diaz. He gets it, backhands it, perfect play, gets it, backhands it, throws it right to home, a little bit off target, and just that little bit off target was enough for Mookie to slide enough. in. And get it was enough. Yeah. And that and was just that great example. base yeah. running. It is. It's great base running, and that's Mookie knowing that his speed is going to take a perfect throw. And on that, and, you know, I'm sure there's more stats to back this up than I know, yeah. but I'm sure that they know the percentage of, of him making that throw to home play going to his right is probably a little bit lower. Um, and it was just taking advantage, right? That's the Dodgers doing their homework. I'm sure there was a conversation talking about, hey, ball on the right side, like we like our chances here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's capitalizing, you know, like you said, staying patient, right? Waiting for your opportunity. It didn't take the three run homer, right? Like that was a ground ball to first base. And that was a huge momentum shifter, right? Mookie's sliding into home plate, firing up his teammates. And right. that's what it's all about right there. Yeah, dude, fire. That's another aspect of the bubble that we're seeing the fire in these players. That, like, it's something that we haven't seen really in the sport. And it, no, it's, 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 I heard CC Sabathia talk about this on the seat. Uh, the, he has a podcast on the, the ringer. Um, I think it's a R2C2, they call it. And uh, CC Sabathia was like, what we're seeing in the bubble is basically what like Dominican winter league looks like. And then yeah, absolutely. And they're hitting bombs and they're pimping it, looking at their dugout, uh-huh. pointing them, shouting, uh-huh. flexing their muscles. Yeah. Like, dude, that stuff's exciting. And that's, what's going to help the sport out and in attracting oh, new yeah. fans and, and everything like that. I mean, yeah, and you said the, you know, the, these other leagues, and, and it also reminded me of the uh, the World Baseball Classic. I don't know if you've ever had mm-hmm. a chance to go to those games, but my goodness, I saw it was Cuba versus Dominican Republic. I have never seen energy like that at a baseball. Really, game. that's a that's a fun it game. Like, it, it felt like soccer, right? I mean, fans are cheering nine innings long. I mean, yeah. there's not a downtime, and you know, and you see it all over the internet. You see it on Twitter. People that aren't usually watching baseball are talking about it. You know, they're talking about, Oh wow. Like baseball is exciting or, you know, check out the Padres. Like who even knew that they were a good team on what, you know, <laughs> look at the Dodgers and look at Mookie and all this stuff. And, you know, it's refreshing to see that, especially after some of the comments you've seen coming out of the commissioner's office about trying to make baseball more accessible. And I, I don't know that comedy made about Mike Trout, Oh, not don't being get me started on that. Good goodness gracious. That was just dude, bad un- I, oh. we can go on for hours on bad dude. That guy. Uh, yeah. We maybe we should pass. <laughs> just absolute train wreck. <laughs> oh God. I, I can't even you're right. I can't get into it either. It's well, it's a joke. Let me ask you something. How are you uh are you a fan of the defensive shifts, the excessive defensive shifts that we're seeing in the series and just in, in the sport nowadays? You know. You know, okay. Here's well, I my saw, thing. Dude, I saw the race with four outfielders against. I think uh, uh-huh. it was a right-handed hitter. I can't remember who it was. It was, uh, it was Turner. It was, it was Turner. It was Turner. I was yeah, like, oh I, my god. You know, and I've seen inning. that one before. I've seen that one before. It's it's it is what it is. And here and here's my take on it. Here's my main take. Hitting is hard. Okay, hitting is definitely very hard. Right. I if I can say from a personal standpoint that I've had a small amount of success at the college level, um, which does not measure at all to me. <laughs> Hitting is yeah. difficult, but, but here's my thing. If you're going to put three infielders on one side of the field, be an athlete. Yeah. Hit the ball to the left side, hit the ball to the right side. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Ben. You saw you, you, you were alive for Tony Gwynn. You saw him, right? <laughs> Some people, you know, he's like oh. the last guy to like almost hit 400. What a great what example. Tony Gwynn hit. What does Tony Gwynn hit in a season if there's a shift on oh. the right side every every five hundred? Easily. <laughs> I mean, okay. You, so the pitching the is different, skills. Then, but like, come on, 
Yeah. You're a professional you athlete. You know how you beat the shift? You hit the ball the other way. We saw yeah. Will Smith do it. That guy's mm-hmm. one of the hottest hitters in baseball. And they mm-hmm. said, we're going to shift, right? Okay, I'm going to hit a 37 hopper. That's normally, you know, a four to three put out. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to hit a 37 hopper to center field. And that's two runs. Yeah. It's not sexy, right? You're not barreling. It's situational it. hitting. And that's what, that's not, what yes. wins games. We're not talking about exit speed. We're not talking about, you know, a launch angle. But guess what? We're talking about two runs. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know, for anybody listening that doesn't know, the way you win baseball games, you have to touch home plate more times than the other <laughs> team. So how do yeah. you get there? What does it matter? What yeah. does it matter? Yeah. Chicks dig the long ball. That's what, that's what a lot of guys want to... I mean, <laughs> dig the long the thing ball. Is, though, the, the thing is, though, there's that argument for the other way because what happens is guys will go into arbitration after a, a year where they spent a lot of their efforts trying to go the opposite way to beat the shift. And then they didn't hit enough home runs. And then their team goes into arbitration and says, Oh, you didn't hit enough home runs. So we're going to pay you $5 million left less this year. So that's true. That is true. Guys get paid to hit dingers in, in today's game. And so that's true. It, it's a contradictory system. And it's tough. yeah, I think part of that is you got to find your role. You know, you got to know you situationally, you got to know, right. Hey, Cody Bellinger up with nobody on two outs or nobody out. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I want him hitting a ball 460 feet. I like, I don't need him to go the other way and hit a 16 hopper through the left side. That's fine. But you know, Will Smith, he might've hit some big time. runs, but like yeah. time in a place time. Mm-hmm. This is the world series. Like Win let's it. go. Yeah. Right. Win, Win the game. I know. And literally these two teams get it. They're doing that yes. for the, for the, for the most part, these two teams yeah. are doing really well with, with the situational hitting the defensive shifts. Like they're just, both teams just seem to be on their on the mark with all of it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's been fun to watch. Let me ask Absolutely. you this, Nick, on the, on the topic of baseball, I wanted to bring you on because you are a big Padres fan. You're probably the Huge. biggest, you're probably the biggest Padres fan I know. And <laughs> you could finally, you could finally be proud of that this year. You, oh, could, yeah. you could, you could flaunt it. You could be proud of it. You could, <laughs> you could shout it to the rooftops, dude. Your team is finally exciting. Like, you t- your um, team. Yeah. Are, let me ask you this. So the Dodgers are in the World Series. Is this their last year in the World Series for a while? Is this the closing of their window? Is this the, the last year that or is it, or do they have a little bit left in the, in the tank? Well, you know, I, for that question, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, frankly, frankly, I, I, I hope it's not, you know, the Dodgers are a good, good franchise. You know, they're, I think they're somebody that you're going to, you got to look at and you got to respect what they've done. And hopefully that, you know, for them, for their sake, hopefully, and you know, Clayton Kershaw, who I got a ton of respect for, hopefully they can get the job done and do it. But um, I think that the Dodgers Padres rivalry will be good for baseball. Mm -hmm. I mean, West coast baseball, when we were, you know, 10, 11 years old, took a huge beating. Mm -hmm. People were, were not excited about, West coast baseball. It was Red Sox Yankees Mm -hmm. and it didn't really matter. That's, that's kind of it to see this kind of a rivalry show up in the NL West, which when, I mean, again, 15 years ago, NL West was terrible. Yeah. Terrible division. Yeah. Those Dodger and giant, the the Dodgers and the giants were the best two teams and they were both brutal. And they were, yeah. I mean, I think it was 2005, the Padres last time, I know 2006, 2005, the Padres won the division two games over 500, (laughs) two games over 500. That is awful. (laughs) That is awful. But I mean, yeah, no, you said it. The Padres are exciting. I don't know if the Dodgers uh, reign is over. I I doubt it. I mean, they still have some youth. Um, Walker Bueller is an exciting pitcher to watch. Uh, You know, we'll see how long the analytical play 
can last. I, and that's, you know, again, I think we're, mm. we're, we can talk about later and, you know, a segment, I think you got lined up later, but I, I, I think that their window is still going. And, you know, for the Padres sake, I think that the Padres need a little competition going into that, that window. Cause I think, you know, the Padres are entering that window of competition. Dodgers might be on their way out, but I want to see that crossover for the next couple of years. So, yeah, yeah, dude, you're right. That rivalry between the Padres and the Dodgers is going to be legit and it's going to keep, it's going to generate fandom. It's going yes. it's got to, because yes, let me ask you this is as well. So you said Mike, you bet you brought up how Manfred brought out the fact that Mike Trout's not as marketable as he would like, maybe. And Joke. Yeah. So is Fernando Tatis Jr. the future of the sport? Is he the most marketable player in the sport right now? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. I, I Mookie, mean, he's, Mookie's, Mookie's, Mookie's is unbelievable. That guy, I mean, that, and this goes back to what I want by that rivalry. I mean, Mookie, having Mookie and Fernando Tatis Jr. on the same field is such a treat. I mean, what they do every night, they can do something that you've never seen. And you've heard that before, but like, it's true. And the same thing goes for Trout. You know, Trout might not be a bat flip guy. He might not be a, you know, big excitement guy, but since when is being the best at somebody? are being the best in your sport, not enough. I mean, for yeah. me, Trout is every time I see that guy play, I'm like, this dude's unbelievable. I mm-hmm. mean, I've seen that guy ground out to short and it's impressive. He, he dude, just, he's hit, he's hit ground outs to short and he beats it for a single, like just easy. routine grounders. I, yeah, he, just he just his it. pure athleticism. <laughs> it's like something I've never seen. And I've, you know, I've, you and I've watched a lot of baseball in our life and it's just not even close. I mean, Mookie is an incredible player, but Trout has been doing this every single year mm-hmm. and he's yeah. not slowing down either you know i think trout really comes from the go figure his own teammates school albert pujo's school of, of thought mm-hmm. where he's mm-hmm. just no business i mean um no messing around just like all business really just focusing on the craft and being the best at the sport and being the mm-hmm. best player you can and being the best person you can i mean trout's a great guy does a lot yeah. for the community and charities and does a lot yeah. for i know suicide prevention because he lost a brother-in-law from suicide and so yeah. I think Trout's a little bit more on the quiet side of, of leadership. He's, he's a little mm-hmm. bit of a soft-spoken leader, but he leads, like you said, by example. He's the best, he's the best skill talent in the, in the sport right now. Yeah. But you I mean, he talk just about, shows up. Well, if you want to talk about marketability, then you, and, and then you look at Mookie Betts and Fernando Tatis Jr. And, and, uh-huh. and the energy those two bring to the, yeah. to the sport and to their teams. And I think uh, the Padres really have a gem in Tatis, man. That guy is just... He had an awesome season. He's, he's yeah. going to be in the sport for a long time. And it's just, it, he's good for the sport. He's good for mm-hmm. San Diego. He's good for major league baseball. It's, it's exciting to see. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah, you said it. Trout might not be the, the loudest and the most uh, excitable, even though he is super exciting uh, player, but with Mookie and, and Fernando Tatis Jr. It's great. And I, and I also think it's good to have that balance, right? Like Trout is, you know, in five or five to eight years, Trout is going to be that guy that <clears throat> kind of represents the, you know, the previous era. Right. And then mm-hmm. hopefully we have another Fernando Tatis Jr. And another Mookie bets come up, you know, down yeah. the line, but I think it's good. Baseball's in a great spot. Our, well, it seems as if they're in a great spot to take advantage because they kind of have a, a balance between, you know, those, you know, the old school guys that are, you know, that grew up with a pool holes that grew up with a Todd Helton that grew up with, you know, Manny Ramirez. And then you have your, you know, guys that are going to grow up watching Mookie, right. And the guys that are going to grow up watching, you know, Machado and Tatis and, you know, that kind of deal. So yeah, pretty exciting time. 
Re- really exciting. I mean, these players like like Tatis Jr. and um, Mookie, I mean, Tatis especially, he had that instance in the season where he hit the Grand Slam on 3-0, and and he got, he, uh, was it a Grand Slam? Mm-hmm. He had a Grand mm-hmm. Slam on 3-0, and and uh, it got called out for it being breaking the unwritten rules of baseball. And I think what we're seeing now is in the era of 2020 and, and beyond in, in the sport is the unwritten rules of baseball are getting changed and they're being rewritten, I believe. I mean, mm-hmm. in a theoretical sense. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that guys like Tatis Jr. And we saw with the Braves, we saw Acuna and Albies and Ozuna. Like these guys are just bringing so much energy and flair to the sport. And I don't know how you could say that's not good for baseball. Absolutely. I mean, I, I myself, I would say for my age, at least I'm, I err on the side of being a little old school, but Absolutely. Getting fired up for your team is not disrespecting mm-hmm. the sport. There is a line right now. If, if Tatis Jr. hits a ball 600 feet and he stares at the pitcher and <laughs> pops a chain and untucks his jersey and car. Yeah. OK, obviously. But the dude is excited for his team. Mm-hmm. Now, a little background on that Grand Slam. The Padres were coming off of a five game losing streak. They could not buy a win. They were playing teams that objectively were not as good as they were. They came off, I think, I believe it was a series in Arizona and uh, against the Angels. Mm-hmm. No offense. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and, uh, and, and so he got some slack for swinging 3-0 up. I think uh, I want to say they were up six, I think six, maybe in the eighth inning. Um, no lead is safe. We've seen it. We saw it this year. No lead is safe. And to me, swinging 3-0, if, if you're going to rank all the unwritten rules, that's the bottom. I don't oh, care. Yeah. I don't care. Swing the bat. I mean, hey, you don't take extra bases. Sure. You don't bunt up a bunch. Sure. But since when do you just take pitches off? I, I've never understood that. Yeah. I don't know. It, the only thing that I've seen kind of out of the energy that like guys w- will, will bring is I didn't really love when Bruce Brewster Gratterall, the reason for the Dodgers, like when he struck out a guy like in the seventh inning to end the seventh inning, like not even the end of the game, like the seventh inning, he, he struck off the mound, throws his hat off. Untucks that, his, no, that, that was, was kind of excessive in my opinion. That was when Belger robbed the home run off of Tatis. Yeah, but he did it again. He did it oh, again. He did it again. Yeah. Oh my God. You're right. I, I forgot mean, that he did that. Uh, on the Bellinger yeah. rod, but he did it a, a second time. He's done. Yeah, like, and he just like, he, I just, I don't love that. I, if I'm the opponent, that's pissing me off, but you know what? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, it's exciting. It's like, how it's can exciting. you act the guy? He's excited. You know? Well, the other, the other thing is like, wouldn't you rather get fired up about it, whether you like it or not? Mm. But you know what I mean? Like if you yeah. hate it, you're getting fired up about it. But if, well, if, you know, if it's all business as casual, you know, whatever, then it's, yeah, that's not as well, exciting. And, and especially with that, with, with that one, uh, with the, the robbing the home run one is like, dude, don't throw your glove. You were about six inches away from giving up a bomb. Like right. be excited, <laughs> but the game's not over, right? Like let's, you know, so that was yeah. just a feel one for me, but you know, you're right. That, that's. Yeah. I mean, what, what's, what's interesting though, is you brought up a good point where, it's getting a reaction, whether it's good or whether it's good or bad reaction, mm-hmm. it's getting a reaction. And that's key. I mean, that's, what's going to grow the sport guys, exactly. guys in, in, like getting, getting sports talk shows to talk about it, getting mm-hmm. fans to talk about these things. Like that's just good for the sport, whether it's good or bad, you know what I mean? Whether yep. a fan or has a good or bad take on it, just that the fact that people are talking about baseball again is just a positive. 
So, oh yeah, we need that. I mean, we need it. We need more kids playing baseball, more kids excited about baseball. And we need, you know, especially in an era where everything, there's cameras everywhere, there's microphones everywhere, everything's online, right? It's, it should be, you know, we should be capitalizing on this, right? Like the game has never been this accessible to fans. And I think that the more you can have it talked about, like you're saying, I think that's, it's just going to be good for years to come. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I I'm enjoying this world series. I'm I, I think you're in the same boat as me. We're hoping for seven games, We're hoping for these teams to just really grind out a win in the end and just between two fantastic organizations. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it, but yeah, absolutely. Speaking of grinds, dude, speaking of grinds, I wanted to bring you on too, because on vicious talk, we, we do sometimes talk about, um, my guests, I, I try to bring them on and ask them about some of their career aspirations and what they're passionate mm-hmm. about. And currently right now you're grinding on the job market. You're, you're hunting for your next, your that's next right. position. You're, ne- you're hunting for that next spot. That's going to be lucky enough to bring you in. And so I want to talk to you about this because you're one of probably about, I think about 35 million Americans that are, are currently out of job right now. And so you're not yeah. alone in this. <clears throat> and right. um, I want to bring you on because the last time we saw each other, you were working in uh, event marketing with Easton baseball and softball. Um, and so now that you're on the job hunt, let's talk about how you're navigating this job market amidst the pandemic. Sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> it's been tough. Uh, no secret that, you know, it's been hard on everybody. And I think, you know, early on, the main thing was I thought, I thought for this in, in terms of the pandemic, I thought I'd be back to work by, you know, what do we start shutting down in March, February, whatever. Yeah. I thought, right be, I, thought I was going to be, you know, ready to work by summer. I was like, Hey, you know, a couple months off or whatever it is, however many weeks, like I'll be back. I'll be back. You know, and, and summer for that job that I had with Easton is really, that's when it picks up, you know, people are playing baseball and, I, and that was my job is to go out and see baseball and showcase Easton products and stuff. But I mean, it just kind of it lagged, right? Like, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we, things remained uh, closed. And here in California, people are a little bit more, a little bit uh, more careful, I guess you could say, depending yeah. on where you're at. Uh, so other, you know, other parts of the country, people have resumed doing my job. But unfortunately, I, I w- haven't been able to, you know, we haven't been able to bring the position back. So I've been, I recently have been hitting the job market um, pretty hard. And, you know, I've actually, I've had some good news as of lately. Um, today, I, I think. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, I've had so a couple of, wait, tell me this news. What's it? Well, um, I've had a couple of interviews. Um, I worked with a guy who was kind of like a career coach for, and he specialized in for athletes, reaching out to athletes, you know, former collegiate athletes, high school athletes, whatever that, um, um, that are looking to make that step into the, you know, That's the a market. Workforce. That's a market. Athletes, because yeah. athletes in college oftentimes aren't able to get the work experience, the job experience that yeah, some, exactly. a lot of employers are looking for coming out of right. college because they didn't have the time to, to, yeah. to work. And you're mm-hmm. not alone in that. Exactly. And, you know, I was really fortunate. I got the job at Easton right after I graduated, which was a full-time gig and, you know, salary benefits, all that deal. But not everybody's that lucky, right? So this was such an interesting take. I kind of had to, you know, backpedal and reach out to this guy and help me out. So um, I've had a couple interviews. I got one that went really well. And I've, I've done some work on the, you know, on the front end to try to, uh, that they wanted me to do to kind of see if I'd be a good fit and see if they'd be a good fit for me. So. Uh, I've been kind of focused on the sales um, aspect of things. I want to kind of jumpstart my, 
wallet. <laughs> yeah, don't get it, dude. Yeah, times are tough and I, and I, I want to make, um, try to make a little bit more money and it, you know, that's, uh, so you know, hopefully I get some good news in the next day or two, but, uh, it, it's looking good, but it's definitely a grind out there, man. Yeah. What kind of jobs have you been searching for? Have you tried, have you had to expand your kind of your, your horizons on what you might be interested in or what are you looking at? Yeah. So I, I was really focused on, um, sales, honestly. Uh, I would definitely say I was a, a money motivated person, especially in this time, you know, um, not being employed for so long. It's, it's hard not to be. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I really, no you know, I, yeah, I told the guy, I, I, you know, I, I really want to, you know, have an opportunity to make money for myself. And I wanted to focus in a little bit more on something, not necessarily like, Hey, here's a good salary, do the work, but you know, Hey, there's room to grow here, right? You can make yourself more money if you want, right? If you work harder, right. And whether that means commission, whether that means, you know, upward mobility, whatever. So I've been trying to focus on, you know, I love the Eastern job, but it was kind of like set in stone. This is how much money you're going to make. Mm -hmm. so I wanted to, you know, get into a commission based type deal. Um, and this last job interview that I had was with a, um, kind of a shipping and logistics, um, uh, company in, e-commerce as you can imagine has been booming all time oh, yeah. high people are ordering online and they're you know that obviously that requires shipping and nobody wants to go out and shop right everyone wants to stay, to stay shaped uh stay safe excuse me so um it's one of those things where you know i kind of targeted industries that i thought were doing well um and see if there's any opportunity there and i, I you know i got in touch with a company that has hired i think i think like this time last year they had three associates, uh, sales associates, and they've hired seven since oh, wow. during the pandemic. So they're thriving. Um, hopefully they're looking to add one more, uh, but it, it looks good. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Those are, uh, those are really good companies to get into right now, because I mean, it's going to be a trend that continues to grow. I think even after the pandemic, I think e-commerce is going to continue right. to, to be a big, a big market. So yeah, that's cool. So um, have you kind of felt that like the competition on the job market is a little bit more intense during the pandemic is there, or has it been the kind of the same of, as what you were looking at when you were coming out of college? Um, <clears throat> hard to say. I mean, I would say it's definitely a little bit more competitive just well, from is a it any different. I, I think it is different. Um, people are definitely seeking that job. That's going to keep them safe and, or keep them working. Right. Cause I mean, it's, it's hard to get, I would say it's even harder to get just like a restaurant gig, right? Cause people mm -hmm. are, you know, your, you know, places have capacity limits and you know, a lot of places just like, Hey, I can't hire you. There's no, and you also, I mean, work. if you work at a restaurant, you might, you might go into work one day and say like, Oh, we got shut down today. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's always that a threat too. Yeah. There's that job security aspect of it that people I think fear. And I think it is tough, right? I mean, listings aren't really booming. Um, I would say they probably weren't booming when I got, you know, the previous job, but again, I got really, really lucky, but even now, I mean, it's, it's hard to be more selective. And I think that was a struggle that I had early on as I was Certainly. looking for, I wanted to work in baseball if I could, or, or in golf, like golf is a new passion of mine uh, these days, but, um, I, you know, I know a lot about baseball, I think, and, and it's one of my passions that I love. And, and I kind of had to step back and accept like, Hey, there's just not really work to be done right now in that market. Yeah. Right. So you got to get a little more creative. And I think that's the hard part. You know, it's not, it's not a good time to be choosy, right? It's not, yeah. you know, beggar, the old saying beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. And I, I'm by no means begging, but Hey. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that's, that's gotta be different now because I know that 
when I was looking for jobs um, before the pandemic, I used to really think that it was good to be a little bit choosy to really like right. make sure that the company that you're going to be working for fits you just as much as you fit them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And right. I still think there's an aspect of that. I mean, you can't just go work for anybody, but I think that um, the responsibilities and the, and the duties of the jobs you're applying for and the salary that you might be making um, and the potential that you could grow. I think those are all a little bit more emphasized if, if I had to guess on in terms of what you're looking for right now. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, I think you're definitely right. Um, going, I mean, everything I knew about looking for a job was exactly what, like what you were saying, right? Like, you got to make sure it's a good fit for you because if you're not happy in the workplace, it's, I mean, you're just, it's a recipe for disaster, right? It's just, mm-hmm. um, you, you gotta be comfortable and you gotta be able to work hard. And if you're not, <clears throat> if you're not comfortable, there's just no chance that you're going to succeed. And if you're not going to succeed, you're, you're just going to drive yourself insane. I mean, I mean, nobody, people love, you know, people say they love their job and you know, that's great. But like, if everyone could just sit on a beach and drink Mai Tais, they probably would. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you gotta find that good balance between, you know, you're working hard and this is something that you're, you're motivated to improve on and work on yourself. And, you know, so now it's definitely more of an open mind kind of deal. Um, but no, you said it. It's it's definitely a different time. This is different for everybody, right? This is something that I never thought I would have to, you know, evaluate in my own head, right? That's just like what everyone else in the world these days thought. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely, you know, a different beast. Yeah. So let me ask you this for the listeners. Is there anything in your particular case that has helped you in your efforts for a, on the job hunt? Like, is there anything specific that maybe you, maybe a website you went to, a person you networked with? Any sort of tip or, or idea that kind of worked for you that might work for somebody else? Yeah, um, I did a lot of brushing up on LinkedIn. Um, and if, if anyone hasn't used LinkedIn, it's it's just a it's just a tool to connect people. You never know who you you know you never know what people from your past that you might have had a good experience with are doing, and you know, and especially with sports um, for any athletes out there, take advantage of the connections you make, you know, especially with baseball, as you know, baseball, everyone knows everybody and somebody's got to know somebody that needs what you have, right? Like if you got to recognize that, you know, over a course of a athletic or an employment kind of professional career, you gain certain skills, right? So you got to take advantage of connections that you've made and, and reaching out to people. And, and that's how I, that's how I reached out. That's how I found the uh, career coach. Um, mm-hmm. He works for a company called athletes to careers. Check them out. If you're looking for work and you're a former athlete and they do a really good job. Um, but I mean, literally just LinkedIn. That's what I did. I went yeah. on LinkedIn and I, I didn't know that they had a, uh, a job search function there. So I, and I didn't have any luck there, but he just popped up in my suggested and I shot him a message and here we are, you know, I've, I've yeah. already, um, I've interviewed twice. And it's looking good. So, and you know, don't be afraid. I, I, I would say, don't be afraid to reach out to people. Um, you know, check your own Rolodex or phone book. I know nobody knows what a Rolodex is anymore. But, <laughs> um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. And because at the end of the day, people are going to hire uh, based on you know connections. Nobody's going to hire you off of you know an online well, application. To be said about somebody reaching out to you to try exactly. to try to get something going. You know what I mean? There's something exactly. to be said about that motivation. There's someone who mm-hmm. wants to be hired, someone who wants right. to help somebody else out, a company out, a business exactly. out. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just, just a great tip. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, just looking just looking for opportunities to set yourself apart, right? And sometimes that might be just the fact that you reach out, right? Just the fact that you reach out is like, hey, this guy wants to work, right? Mm-hmm. Give him, you know, let's versus the guy that sends an email, right? Like, be the guy that calls a couple times, you know, be the guy that's gonna, you know, send emails, make phone calls, and yeah. you know, that's the difference. Because for me, it was tough. You know, it was tough. I a lot of it was early on. It was, hey, I'm still gonna have my job after this is over. I'm still gonna have my job, and I thought you know what, it's time to start taking, you know, initiative. It's time to start looking elsewhere and, you know, be uncomfortable, be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's mm-hmm. another one. Yeah. I I can't say enough about emphasizing the networking aspect of the job hunt because yes. a, lot of, a lot of the uh, opportunities that I found myself looking at were through networking events. And I know that's mm-hmm. not even, that's not a, like companies aren't able to do that nowadays because yes. of the COVID you can't have events, but um networking nowadays can be done through LinkedIn, like you talked about. And lots of, lots of recruiters are on LinkedIn looking for specific jobs, people to fill specific roles and enough can't be said about that. And just Mm -hmm. being the person to reach out to as many people as you can throw as many darts as you can looking for that one bullseye that hits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like it, dude. I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm hoping that I'm wishing you the best in this, in this job interview process you got going on. Yeah, you know, I'll uh, I'll let you know. But <laughs> yeah, let me, oh, one thing I wanted to tell you though, one story that I liked, I I related to your thing where you reached out to the guy on LinkedIn and he was able to help you out because a simple email sometimes goes the distance for some of these people. Because I remember I went to a networking conference in Boston for sports called the Sports uh, Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. It's like the number one sports analytics conference, um, okay. and it's cheaper for students, so that's why I was able to go. Um, mm-hmm. And. I was looking for a job coming out of college and I was only a junior. So I was a little bit underqualified for some of the stuff. I ended up getting like an interview for the, with the NFL for this guy. I was so underqualified. I was like, I was not good enough to get this job and I didn't end up getting the job, but I got an interview and like the guy talked to me and he was yeah. like, dude, I really like you, but you're just not ready. He asked me like, he was asking me like defensive personnel on like random teams. And I just couldn't name enough players for him. And right. And right. it was, it was, a, it sounded like a really cool job, but I just was not qualified for it. And the fact that I just got an interview, I thought was neat because I mean, he said, you're really like one of two people or one or the only person I remember they reached out and asked about the position and, asked, and wanted to network with me. And I just think that those kind of instances where you just have a, a, a you build a connection with somebody or you just reach out to the right person, you never know who's it going to be, who, who's it going to be. Um, and just trying to, like I said, throw as many of those darts as possible. One's going to stick. Absolutely. No, you're that's, that's a great example. Um, and even, you know what, for anybody that's considering doing any of that kind of thing, and <clears throat> maybe if this is post COVID and you're able to go to a kind of a career fair or something like that, even if you're walking away with just like a business card, that's, Hey, add that to yeah. go add that person on LinkedIn and you never know, maybe they're going to, there's a position in, you know, next quarter that they, you know, need somebody just like you. And, and absolutely. I, I, I can't echo you enough. Networking's huge. Creating those relationships, huge. I mean, especially with, you know, think about this, think about the number one rule in sales is people buy from people they like. Right. And it's going to be the same thing when people are hiring, right. They're you know, when you're looking for a job, you have to sell yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a huge, that's a huge point, And that's a really good example. Yeah, man. Wishing you the best. I like it. I, I think that you, you're a good fit in sales. You got a great charismatic uh, charisma about you. And I think that people, people will, will be willing to talk to you 
um, just any sort of Joe Blow out there. So, so yeah. <laughs> you're you're dude, you're a salesman at heart. You sell yourself to everybody you talk to. You're just a nice guy. Oh, yeah. I think that people are drawn to you. You got a little bit. You got a little bit of magnetism about you. People are just kind of drawn to you. And I think oh, that hey. I think that not- I think that good things are on the horizon for you, Nick. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. So let's get into this last segment we want to talk about. And I mentioned it to you. We're calling it the vicious minute. All right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm bringing on guests. And what we're doing is similar to um, around the horn on ESPN. They talk about sports topics all show. And at the end of the 30 minutes, there's basically about a minute or two left for the winner of the, of the show, that specific episode to have about a few minutes to talk about anything they're passionate about or anything that they're interested in. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm offering guests uh, an alternative of taking some trivia. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do some trivia. And if you think of something you want to talk about, you want to rant about for a minute, we'll do that at the end. Sound good? Okay, perfect. Okay. So let's dive into some of this flash trivia, buddy. I'm excited because I custom made this, these 10 questions just for you. They're all San okay. Diego. They're all San Diego based. You got, you know, Oh my God. They're Padres questions. And then some San Diego, the, of this, the questions about the city of San Diego. So, okay. I'm, I, I'm hoping for at least half of them you getting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right now the record sure. to beat the record to beat on this is six out of 10. All right. Okay. Wow. All right. That's, this can be tough. All right, okay. here we go. Let's do it. Question number one, in what year did the San Diego Padres organization debut? Let me give you four answers, all right? Okay. 1960, 1958, 1977, and 1969. Uh, let me I'm know if you want me to Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say 58. Oh no, I remember damn it. It's right. uh, it's 69. That's it what is. it is. It's it 69. Is. <laughs> I, I knew I think it was 8 or 9. That's I knew it. <laughs> 1969 the Padres were one Shit. of four expansion teams in 1969. The other teams were the Montreal Expos, which are now the Nationals, Kansas City Royals, and the Seattle Pilots. Now the Milwaukee Brewers. Right. Damn. Kind of like a half one on that one. That'll be like an asterisk. That'll be like an asterisk one. You got it. You got it. I I knew it ended with an eight or a nine because I remember they did like the anniversary kind of deal. It was like, it was, it was last year. And then I remember it was like 2009 or 2008. And I couldn't remember. (sighs) That's a good question. I should know that though. All right. Over one, we're going to question number two, buddy. I, I like this one for you. I think, I think you'll get it. All right. Which Padres player once walked with only three balls in the year, in the 2011 season? Questions are, answers are Cameron Maven, Will Venable, Ryan Ludwig, and Chris Norfia. The player walked with three balls. Now, okay. He 2011. Three balls. Cameron Maven, walk- Will Venable, Ryan Ludwig, and Chris Norfia. Okay, I'm a little. All right. He got. He, <laughs> he walked he, with three he balls. He walked with three balls. It was a mistake. He walked with like, three he balls. He just ran to first and they just let it go. Nope, yep. Nobody said nothing. Oh my god. All right. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Kristen Norfia because that guy was an absolute grinder, <laughs> finding ways to get on base. Uh, it was Cameron Maven. 
Cameron Maben ah, on July on July second, two thousand eleven. Cameron Maben fell behind the count against Mariners starter Doug Fister, zero and two. He proceeded to fell off a few pitches and earn a couple of balls. At some point, the scoreboard operator inexplicably gave Maben a third ball. When Fister's two and two pitch sailed high, Maben trotted the first base, and nobody, not even Fister. Mariners skipper Eric Wedge or even home plate umpire Phil Cuzzy contested the walk. This is why I asked the question. Maven would go on to score the only run in the Padres 1-0 win. The only run of the game. Wow. Yeah. That might okay. First of all, Ben. First of all, I got two things. Number one, that's one of the better trivia questions I've ever heard. So that's serious. <laughs> Number two, that type of thing pisses me off to no end <laughs> oh my gosh you know I, I i decided a couple actually not that long ago a couple months ago i was i was kind of i always had a passion for like coaching baseball one day that is one of my number one thing pay attention know the count. you're telling me nobody in the mariners dugout was right? like hey okay. right? the pitcher like the catcher come on yeah brutal Brutal. I, and you know what? I heard the question. I kind of remembered it. Nothing I was like, game too. Yeah. When I, when I heard the question, I kind of remembered it. I was like, Oh, you know what? I do remember maybe walking with three, three, three balls. That was a weird play. It's weird. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that was the only I, run of the game. Shocking. <laughs> All right, buddy, let's get you some <laughs> points. I, I think, I think you'll get this one. Question number three. Let's get you, let's get you on the board I, here. God, I hope so. On June 12th, 1970, the Padres were victims of a very unusual no-hitter. What was so unusual about this no-hitter? The pitcher was going through a heart attack on the mound. It was, com- it was a combined no-hitter using 10 different pitchers. The pitcher was on LSD, or the pitcher walked 15 batters. Mm, I'm going to say the pitcher was on LSD, Doc Ellis, but I yeah. might have had like nine walks, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He, he did. He, <laughs> he might have had like eight or nine. Yeah. No and listen to, this, listen to this description. So you got that one right. It was the one and only no hitter of Doc Ellis's career. And almost certainly the, the lone no hitter pitched under the influence of LSD. Ellis had to say about the outing. I can only remember bits and pieces of the game. I was psyched. I, was, I had a feeling of euphoria. I remember hitting a couple of batters and the bases were loaded two or three times. The ball was sometimes small. The ball was also sometimes large. Sometimes I saw the catcher. Sometimes I didn't. I started having a crazy idea in the fourth inning that Richard Nixon was the home plate umpire. And once I thought I was pitching, to, pitching a baseball to Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> that's fantastic oh my gosh awesome. i love that quote this is amazing all right dude one for three we're on the board let's go to question number four who, average. who was the first owner of the san diego padres a john moores b c r arnhold smith c tom warner werner d ray crock let me repeat those for you john moores C. Arnholt Smith, C. Arnholt Smith, Tom Warner, or Ray Kroc? Um, I'm going to say Ray Kroc. Ah, it was C. Arnholt Smith. Oh, no. I know and, Ray Kroc is like, a, they got his name all over Petco Park. So oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He must well, have been, you know, the reason why 
see how Arnold Smith wouldn't be all over San Diego Petco Park. Let me tell you this. Let's so the team's original owners see Arnold Smith, a prominent San Diego businessman whose interests included banking, tuna fishing, hotels, real estate, and an airline. In 1979, Smith was convicted of embezzlement of $8.9 billion and tax fraud involving the sale of the Padres. Mm. He served served eight months in the county minimum security work center in 1984 and 1985 before his sentence was reduced to his uh, due to his poor health. So the the dude had to get out of jail because he was he had bad health. Yeah, so the Padres are not proud of that guy. <laughs> that is one. That is a, one of the more Padres stories that I've ever heard. <laughs> the first owner of the team, not not the shining example that they wanted to. Oh my goodness! <laughs> All, All right, right I no worries. Let's get you. Let's get you some more points here. Question number five: Which Padres player stole seventy bases in a single season? A. Gene Richards. B. Ozzie Smith. C. Tony Gwynn. Or D. Allen Wiggins. Seventy. Seventy stolen bases. All right, let me hear. It. Let me hear it again. A. Gene Richards. B. Ozzie Smith. C. Tony Gwynn. Or D. Allen Richards. I'm sorry, Allen Wiggins. Uh, I'm going to say Gene Richards. Ah, Allen Wiggins. No way. Alan Wiggins. Alan Wiggins. I knew Gene Richards could run. <laughs> in 1984, sec- second baseman Alan Wiggins scored 106 runs, stole 70 bases, and led the league with 391 putouts. Solid scrappy player. <laughs> Unbelievable. These are tough. Oh, I'm telling you, man. I gave you some tough ones. Tough. I gave you some tough ones. Back. You're going to come back at the end. I have a feeling. I'm going to have a good I, second I half. I hope so. By the way, off the podcast, I'm going to get like the most unbelievable Angels trivia <laughs> you've ever heard. <laughs> I'm send I, I, away. Yeah, dude. I would not do well. I don't think on some of this stuff. <laughs> You're good, though. All right. Question number six. The Padres have never won a World Series. They've won, they've won the NL pennant twice in franchise history in 1984 and 1998, sorry, 1984 and 1998. And their first appearance in their first appearance in the world series in 1984, they lost four games to one. Who did they lose to the Detroit Tigers, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Kansas city Royals or the New York Yankees, Detroit Tigers. You got that one, buddy. Detroit. <laughs> we got you. We got you a point there. I like it. In 1984, the Padres lost to the Detroit Tigers in the World Series. The World Series MVP was Alan Trammell, who hit 450 in the series with nine hits, two homers, and six RBIs across the five games. Go figure. Jeez. Go figure. Former Padres manager Bruce Bochy. Bruce Bochy actually had an at bat as a player in that series, but one for one. Wow. Hey, Attaboy Boch. Also, Attaboy Trammell, 450. Have yeah. a series. Right. Hall of Famer. All right. Question number seven, buddy. We're going to start talking a little bit about the city of San Diego. Let's see how, you, how well you know your own hometown. Oh, boy. All right. The San Diego County has the most California missions in the state with four in all. Can you name three of the four missions in San Diego County? Um, okay. Uh, Mission de Acala, I believe. Mm hmm. Oh gosh. Um that's one. What is the one in old town? Uh, wow, that might be the only one I know. Uh mission Is there one mission St. Gabriel? No, that's in uh LA. 
Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, Take your time. I don't know. No? <laughs> I really don't. I know Mission Day Alcala. And then... I should have made it two out of four. Let's do two out of four. Yeah. If, you get, if, you get, if you get another one, think about it. If you get another one, I'll give it to you. Think hard. Okay. Um, God, it's going to be something obvious that I'm like, how did I not just guess that? Mission <laughs> Day um, <laughs> No, Y'all no, do no. kind of have a Hispanic Hispanic name. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Uh, how about... No. I don't know. Mission de Miguel. Nah. <laughs> Mission, nah got, no. the, other, the other three, so you got Mission San Diego de Acala, Mission San mm. Luis Rey, Mission San Antonio de Pala, and Mission Santa Isabel. Uh, Isabel? Isabel, Y S A B E L. I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> I, I yeah, hearing them, I I wouldn't have been able to get those. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I thought you would have that one. <laughs> <laughs> They're good though. Uh, this question is tough. I don't know if you get this. One. <laughs> uh, okay, hit me with it. I want to hear it. All right, question number eight: The landmark San Diego Coronado Bridge, which opened in 1969, connecting downtown San Diego with Coronado, extends 11,179 feet long. It's okay. supported by 27 concrete grind girders, and it was the longest bridge ever made at the time of construction. Which celebrity okay. was famously known for being the first to drive over this bridge? Which John, celebrity? Yeah, let me give you the four. John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, Ted Williams, or Eddie Vedder? Eddie Vedder. Uh, okay, 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 okay. John F. Kennedy, Ronald, Ronald Reagan, Ted Williams, or Eddie Vedder? I'm going to say... Think about the time that this was built. 1969. Yeah. It's a historic landmark. So I'm between two. Give it, who, who are you between? I'm between Reagan and JFK. Okay. Think about their hometowns. Read them again. Read, read me the names again. John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, Ted Williams, and Eddie Vedder. I'll, I'll give you this. The person who I'm talking about is from San Diego. All right. Then, then I'm wrong, and I'm going to say Ted Williams. Ah, dude, you had it. You had it. It was Ronald no Reagan. Way. It was Reagan's Ronald from Reagan. San Diego? Yeah, he is. Oh, come on. Sorry. I, I <laughs> this is you, embarrassing. Well, John F. Kennedy is from Boston, so I was like, well, yeah, maybe I if I eliminate like, him for you. <laughs> yeah, it was Williams it was is from Reagan. San Diego, too. Did you he know is, that? Or yeah, is that I did. Okay. That's why I had him in there. But yeah. I confused you with that. Yeah, I got it. All right, well, whatever. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll put an asterisk on that one, too. <laughs> I know. I gave you some tough yeah. ones, dude. These are tough. This I is like vicious. it. I'm telling you, it's a vicious minute, dude. It's vicious. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm glad you didn't give me 10 softballs because that would have been no fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the point of this. I mean, guys are supposed to struggle. Mikey, my cousin, got five. Or he got like four. I gave him an 11th question to get, to okay. get five. So really, he had like four. All right, question number nine. I think you'll get this one. All right. This, okay. cl- this classic wooden roller coaster in Belmont Park along Mission Beach is one of only two Oceanside coasters on the West Coast. Built in 1925, it is the only roller coaster in the United States to have 
national landmark status and be on the National Register of Historic Places. What is the name of this roller coaster? Gold Striker, Ghost Rider, Giant Dipper Roller Coaster, or Electric Eel? Uh, Giant Dipper. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> the Giant Dipper Roller Coaster built in 1925. Yeah. Been on that one a few times. It's a little sketchy. It's all made really? of wood, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I just feel, they always talk about like how old this thing is. And you're looking at it and like the paint's shipping off. And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> how safe is it? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you have to think something about like these coasters on that are near the ocean. It's like, is the wood getting yep. rotten? Like it's dude, there's <laughs> gotta be some like breezy moist air going into that thing for years. Right. Yeah. So like, it's pretty fun. It's pretty coming fun. up on its hundred year anniversary. Almost. In five I might years. have to go down there for that. They might be doing something cool. I know, dude. I know. I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to take a look myself. All right. Mm-hmm. Question number 10. This is a good one. I think we'll get it. San Diego County has the largest number of farms, almost 7,000 in the United States. And it ranks first in the nation for value of floriculture, nursery, greenhouse, and sod products. San Diego County produces the most of this item than any other region in the country. Avocados, tomatoes, oranges, or grapes? Avocados, tomatoes, oranges, or grapes? Grapes. Ah, dude, it's avocados. Oh, dude, I had no idea. Avocados felt too obvious for me because I, you know, I don't know if it's Temecula in San Diego County. Is it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. So. I just, I, my mind went Temecula vineyards and. Yeah, and I made like it in the grapes because I thought that one was, was going to be the one that tripped you up. I should have I should have swapped <laughs> out that answer <laughs> because California is known one. for some grape some grape exports, but I, the San Diego County does have a lot of avocados. Okay, all right. Well, hey, vicious minute. Let me be. You were vicious to me. I think I only got two. Let me give you one off the top of my head. One quick question. All right. All right. In two thousand and four, the San Diego Padres had the first pick of the draft. They picked a local kid who never made an appearance in a Padres uniform in the in a minor league setting or major league setting. He literally never ever took the field. He later made his major league debut with the Texas Rangers in a position he was not drafted in. Name that player. Hint. An enormous oh, amount of I think off I know the field this. issues. Hank Blaylock. Nope. Oh. Oh, damn it. Is it Josh Big Hamilton? Guess. Nope. No, it's not Josh. He was talking about the Rays. Who is it? The answer is um, <clears throat> Matt Bush. Matt oh, Bush. dude, that guy, that guy had a thrower. story. Yeah. He had a huge story. That guy was a piece of work. Did I he mean, go to jail? He, oh, he definitely went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Good pitcher for the Rangers last year. I don't know if he did yeah. play this year. I don't know. I don't think so. I haven't heard the name, but he I, threw gas. Yeah. Fun fact about him, he got recruited out of like a parking lot. I think oh he was God. working at like a diner and like somebody was like, Hey, I need you to throw a bullpen, but he was on like house arrest, I believe. And so he couldn't go to the field. So he's like, I could throw for you out here. And he just <laughs> was still throwing like 97 and he was a shortstop, by the way, he was drafted as a shortstop, not a pitcher. Oh, okay. But Good question. That's a, that's, dude, yeah, I thought I had it with Blaylock. I was like, dude, he played with the Rangers. He's yeah. Diego. I was like, <laughs> I thought it was him. I could have sworn. Yeah. Dang. Good question. Dude, well, I, I, I had a good time. 
Did you yeah. uh, think of something? Do you want? Did you want to do a little rant, or are you good? I'll give you a quick rant. I'll give you a quick rant. Quick right, rant about analytical baseball. Here's my thing, and we saw a perfect example of it last night. I don't understand the bullpen game. Mm-hmm. Now let me expand on that because I think analytics are really good for baseball, and I think it's a lot of useful information. But and I was thinking about this the other day because I rewatched the movie Moneyball, which if anyone hasn't seen it, Great you need to see it if you consider yourself a baseball fan. And they make a good point. You know, I loved uh, I loved watching that movie, and I loved what Billy Bean did, and it was really cool. You know, twenty game win streak, whatever. And the A's are an exciting team even today. But they made a good point in that movie. The game is played by baseball players, right? Now, for me, I am used to the five man rotation, and to me, what that means is you have your ace. That is your guy. If you need a win, you throw him, right? One game playoff, maybe a 163 game, 163 situation, you throw your guy. For me, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, that was Jake Peavy. He won the Triple Crown. He led in strikeouts multiple oh, times. Padres. Stud, right? So that was your guy. Maybe your two starter is like not quite as good, but a horse, innings eater, right? Maybe your three guy, whatever. But the, my point I'm making is you had a one through five because that fifth guy, he might be your weakest arm but he's a starting pitcher. He might have the ability to go four innings. If you could go four innings, right? Why would you not want that over going, Hey, we need you for one and a third. If you can go four, go four. These are human beings, right? The emotional side, these guys have dedicated their lives to throwing the baseball, right? You are better than relievers. Starters are better than relievers. You're telling me that like on the off chance that like Joe Schmo, the worst starting pitcher might just have a night where he is just electric. Maybe he, you know, broke new ground with his girlfriend the night before or something. He's just <laughs> kind of feeling good. And he's like loose balls, like, you know, breaking balls working. He's got both sides of the plate. It's not going to happen every time. That's ridiculous. But I'm running the odds of somebody just, the human aspect of the game is being forgotten and it drives me nuts. (laughs) Last night, last night, the Dodgers went, I got it right here. They went Gonzalez, Floro, Gonzalez, May, Kelly, Wood, McGee, and none of them, only Alex Wood through two innings. You're telling me if you, if the manager the night before that game says, Hey, this is the world series game two. I need you to tighten your jock strap and give me four. Give me four, get us into the game. If you go five, maybe you get a World Series win out of it. You're telling me if he doesn't grab him by the car and say that to his face, you can't reach down and, but no, that's not what it is anymore. Instead, it's okay, I'm going to tell you what's going to make most sense on, on paper. Match up here, match up there. I think that is fascinating late in the game. I love that. I love the analytics late in the game. Hey, we're going to this guy, we're going to this guy. I want somebody to get in somebody's face and say, I need you to step up. You've been playing your entire life. This is your whole thing. Step up and get it done. And if he doesn't, okay, you go from there. But for me, going into a baseball game saying we're willingly not going to allow players to thrive is just like, how do you expect to have success? I haven't seen like, why do you think it's such a big deal when guys, when teams go bullpen game and throw a shutout or like throw a no hitter? Because it doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. You don't see bullpen games throwing shutouts. Last I checked, it's pretty exciting when a starting pitcher goes out for the ninth inning in a shutout. Yeah. It's not going to happen every time, but it is possible. So why not give them a shot? Yeah. 
Dude, give him a shot. I like it, dude. We're going to see some good starting pitching, I think, in game three. Morton and Kershaw. Oh, no, sorry. Morton and Bueller. Mm-hmm. Should be a good starting pitching matchup. I, I think we'll see both go fine, at least. Absolutely. And you know what? Now, hey, last thing I'm going to say, not everyone's going to be Clayton Kershaw. Not everyone's going to be Clayton Kershaw. But guess what? Clayton Kershaw has gotten chased in the third inning. He's been chased in the fourth inning. But, uh, God, let me think of a guy. Uh, Eric Lauer used to pitch for the Padres. That guy's gone seven, right? Joey Lucchese, he got banged from a starting role for the Padres starting role. He can go eight. He might. He just might, right? Like, you never know. Just let him try. Like, that has been my biggest gripe with the analytical game is that you're taking the heart out of it. Like, like how fired up is it when Verlander's on the mound and you see Jim Leland walking toward and he's like, no, get your ass back in the dugout. This is my game to finish. Like, you're not like, give the fans something to root for. Like, give them <laughs> something, you know? Like, I don't know. Dude, that's I my, love the passion. Yeah, that's, that's my gripe with the analytics in the new wave because i'm all for it i think it's super useful and i think it's super important to grow the game in that in that that sense but you got to hold on to what people love we might we might not see another world series like hero because of that yeah that's what i mean like i want the world series mvp that have two wins like like a Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling co-MVP because they just shoved. Like, yeah. You Even know? Bumgarner not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bumgarner might not be the best pitcher in, in the in the regular season, but if you give that guy a shot in the postseason, good things are going to happen. I think that, I, think, I, I yeah. think that game two was a little bit of a punt game for the Dodgers. I think that that, that was – I think I, that they threw – when they threw Gonsal in, I think they knew they were only getting an inning or two out of him. I think that they're looking – I, I think they're looking towards game three, four um, to try, to, to, try yeah. to get the wins. Yeah. And I know this year's different and you got your, you know, like days rest kind of aspect to it. And I know Bueller has been dealing with a blister and like that kind of thing. But my, my question is like, Hey, the, and we talked about at the beginning of the, the beginning of the podcast is the Rays and the Dodgers are really different. But for me, if it's me, I want three guys at least that I'm going to start. I'm going to like, these guys are starting. Like there's no questions, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, and for the Dodgers to punt game two in a world series game, like, Hey, they have a, they have an amazing lineup, right? They see pitches like we talked about, yeah. whatever, but I'm not rolling over. No, mm-hmm. I'm getting in somebody's Dude, I face love and this saying, passion. give me as many. Yeah. I love that passion to take. If you're not wrong, there's, there's, a, there's gotta be a lot of baseball fans that agree with you. And I, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's just different schools of the sport mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. And, and you know what? In the bottom line, I love that. I love that. I love that the game's changing. I love that there's different ways to talk about it. I love that we can get on a podcast and talk about it. And if that went away, then the magic's gone. But whatever that means, I'm here to talk about it. Yeah, man. Dude, what a great, what a great podcast that was. I think we talked a lot of a lot of good stuff. Really enjoyed it, Nick. Uh got any last thoughts? Wanna wanna plug anything? Anything you want to bring attention to? Follow me on Instagram, any of that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> my name is baseball, Nick 25. There's no K in my name at baseball, Nick. And I see, you don't have to follow me. Cause you, I don't have anything else. But <laughs> I do talk on Twitter quite a bit. If you want to come argue with me on Twitter, I would love that. I never back down. Dude, I got to um, follow you on Twitter. I don't think I do. I don't think I follow you either. Jeez, All right, dude, well, let's, let's get that going. Let's, let's fix that. Nick, dude, what a great podcast. Episode 43 of vicious talk with one of my favorite guests I've had so far. Nick, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate it, man.
Okay, that's a wrap for episode 43 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Thank you to my cousin, Nick Barreau, for coming on the podcast. Had a great time recording with you. Good luck on the rest of your way on your job search. Thank you for listening to episode 43. Go ahead and go follow Vicious Talk on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Please also visit allthingsanalysis.com to subscribe on the website. You You could check out all of our brand new podcasts and articles we post on there. Please follow All Things Analysis also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We offer some great fantasy football advice on our Instagram in particular. Had a great week between Connor and I uh, doing some handicapping with some football. Please listen to episode 44 coming up shortly after this. Um, Connor and I did some great week seven NFL breakdowns before this uh, Sunday's slate of games. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. Remember to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? No.